Church, welcome to week three of InSync. We partnered up with Breaking the Chains on Tuesday and helped raise money and awareness around bringing an end to human trafficking. Thank you to everyone who came out and helped support this great cause. We are starting to put together our next Baptism Sunday. These are always amazing services, and if you would like to get baptized or just want more information about baptism, reach out to any of our staff. We would love to talk to you about it. Save the date. Friday, March 1st is our second annual Love the World auction. The purpose and goal of this event is to raise money for specific needs for our partners in Malawi, Africa, as well as for ministries and outreach here in Fresno. If you would like to donate to our silent auction, dessert auction, or our raffle, we have flyers in the lobby. Please take a letter or five and to any businesses that you know that might want to partner with us for the auction. Ticket sales for the event are live on our website. There you can find all the information you need about donating or sponsoring the event. If you would like to give to Prodigal, you can do so on the app, the website, or in the lobby. We are grateful for your partnership and everything we are able to do is because of you. Thank you for joining us for week three of InSync. Hope you have an amazing Sunday, church. Welcome to week three of our In Sync sermon series. We've been looking at what it means to be in sync with God's Spirit. In week one, we looked at going the second mile in unselfishness. Week two was going forward in faith instead of backwards in fear. And our theme scripture has been Galatians chapter five, verses 24 through 26. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Okay, who remembers who these guys are? Millie Vanilli. Come on now. Okay, blame it on the rain. Girl, you know it's true. Uh, the German-French R&B group became one of the most popular bands in the 80s and early 90s. However, their fame soon turned to shame when it was discovered that they did not sing any of the vocals themselves, but rather they were lip syncing instead. I remember this scandal like it was yesterday. I was in my dad's maroon 1988 Chevrolet Beretta and the radio disc jockey said, Millie Vanilli is phony baloney. They were the bud of every joke. And is it butt of every joke or is it butt of every joke? I'm not sure. I literally don't know. The Millie Vanilli scandal of 1990 is a stark warning that what is hidden will always be uncovered. And that pride comes before a fall. And it is to the last verse of our theme scripture that we turn our attention to today. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. If we are to be in sync with God's spirit, let us not become conceited, provoking, envious. What do these words mean? Okay, let's dig into the Greek for this, okay? The word conceited is kenodoxos, glorying without reason, conceited, vainglorious, eager for empty glory. The King James Version says, let us not be desirous of vain glory. We don't use that word much anymore, okay? Conceited fits the bill, so does pride. But kenodoxos, this conceitedness, this pride is something that we have all struggled with 
since we were young. And this is why we have to teach our kids not to brag. They don't understand how, like when you lift yourself up, it can make others feel bad around you. But even as a child, there's something inside of you that knows that, that this has to be tempered. You know instinctively that you can't just outright brag about how good you did on a test. And so what did you do as your younger self? Well, you asked your neighbor how they did on their test, knowing fully well that in turn, they will ask you. And then you could do a humble brag. And with a shrug, you respond with, I did okay. And you are just reeling them in. You're doing an inception. You're creating their desire to know how you did. So it's not you bragging, it's them asking. Canadoxus. That's what we did as a kid. But did you know that even after we've grown up, we're still that same little bragger? There's many ways that we display our conceit, but by far the most devious is the way of social media. It's called the humble brag. And the humble brag, if you're not familiar with this, is a boast wrapped in humility or complaint. Here's some examples. Okay. It's so hard to get Jason out of the house today. All he does is want to play the piano. So she reels you in with this vulnerable part of our kids not listening. And then she throws in, my kid is a musical prodigy. Or the caption might read, this place is beautiful, hashtag blessed. But what was meant was, look, I'm on vacation and can afford it and you can't, na na boo boo, stick your head in doo doo. Okay, we do this almost unconsciously, but to avoid this sneaky way of kenodoxos, we must first unmask it. Now, if you're not already familiar with it, consider the following situation. Perhaps you've been invited to attend an exclusive charity event in recognition for your contributions to a great cause. You'll be given free tickets and the opportunity to chit-chat with all of the elite in Fresno Clovis, if there is some. And the event is a formal affair, and you've got to buy an outfit suitable for the occasion. If you were to engage in kenodoxos, some humble bragging, some pride, some conceit on your social media feed, you would tell your friends about the invitation while at the same time complaining about your need to get fancy duds in order to attend. Something like this. I got invited to the party of the year, but now what will I wear? I don't have anything nearly good enough in my closet Hashtag, I'm not worthy. You've managed to show everyone how important you are, but with your complaint. You're trying to appeal to their supposed sympathy, but you're also appearing humble in the hashtag, indicating that you're not worthy of this event. This humble brag has been around for a long time, long before social media. Consider the opening quotes from Jane Austen's famous book, Pride and Prejudice, written in 1813. Nothing is more deceitful than the appearance of humility. It is often only carelessness of opinion and sometimes an indirect boast. The reason people humble brag is to both emphasize their positive qualities and successes while simultaneously attempting to elicit liking. And the humble bragger recognizes that it's hard to be liked 
and a show-off at the same time. And the humble brag occurs when people try to elicit both sympathy and admiration, and unfortunately, this produces the opposite effects. Am I right? We all see through it. We become experts at appearing better than we really are. I read a story of a daughter praying before her meal. It was a sweet, beautiful prayer. And after the prayer, she said, Mom, aren't you going to post that? There's something off about this, right? Social media is a great way to pretend to love others. So you like a post, but have you actually done anything? Don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Brennan Manning said this, the temptation of this age is to look good without being good. If we are to be in sync with God's spirit, we must stop trying to convince each other that we're better than we truly are. That is exhausting. So instead of kenodoxos, pride, vainglory, conceit, pretense, posturing, let us be people of humility and vulnerability. Let us not be people who walk into a room and say, here I am. Let us be people who walk into a room and declare, there you are. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. The word for provoking here is prokaleo. And it means to irritate or to provoke with feelings of ungenerous rivalry. The New American Standard translates prokaleo as challenging one another. The NCV make trouble with each other. The CEB make each other angry. It is a difficult word to translate, mostly because it's only used this one time in the entire Bible. In what ways do you provoke, irritate, irk, or annoy others? To be in sync with God's spirit is to be more harmonious and less annoying less prokaleo. There is this tiny little book in the Old Testament called Obadiah. It's one chapter long. And God calls the prophet Obadiah to preach not to his nation, Israel, but to preach to a nearby nation called Edom. Edom was once a brother to Israel hundreds of years before. In fact, in the book of Genesis, the patriarchs of these two nations were not just brothers, they were twins. Now, I have a special connection with twins, okay? I am a twin. I've been a twin my whole life. My twin brother and I were roommates the first nine months of our lives. And so two brothers, Esau and Jacob, now are two nations, Edom and Israel. And as the years passed by, these nations have been much closer to enemies than brothers. And in verse 12 uh, the, of the only chapter in the book of Obadiah, Obadiah says, you should not look down on your brother in the day of his misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor boast so much in the day of their trouble. Now, there are several things in this tiny book that I think speak to Prokaleo, this provoking. Okay? One, Edom here was happy at the misfortune of their brothers. They rejoiced when Jerusalem was in trouble. Now, be honest. Sometimes, with some people, are you kind of happy when they mess up? Edom was guilty of feelings of ungenerous rivalry 
prokaleo. And then the next verse, verse 13, you should not march through the gates of my people in the day of their disaster, nor look down on them in their calamity in the day of their disaster, nor seize their wealth in the day of their disaster. The word look down on here in Hebrew is the word ra'ah. And it can also be translated to look into or to explore, inspect, to show a special curiosity in regard to another's misfortune. They looked into their calamity. Uh, that's provoking. That is prokaleo if I ever saw it. They didn't just look down on the calamity of others. They looked into, they investigated it. This neighboring nation, they looked into the misfortune and they wanted all of the gory details. Have you ever done that? Uh, you hear, I heard the Simpsons are getting a divorce. What? Why? No. Tell me what happened. I want to know. Don't leave anything out. I want to know everything. Why are we like that? Why do we want to know all the bad details? I hate to burst your bubble. It's not being in sync with the Spirit. And finally, let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. We're going to spend most of our time with envy because it is just so pervasive in our culture and it's just so pervasive in ourselves. There is a fable that Satan's agents were failing in their various attempts to draw into sin a holy man who lived as a hermit in the desert of North Africa. Every attempt had been met with failure. So Satan angered with the incompetence of his subordinates, became personally involved in this case. He said, the reason you have failed is that your methods are too crude for one such as this. Watch and learn. He then approached the holy man with great care and whispered softly in his ear, your brother has just been made bishop of Alexandria. Instantly, the holy man's face showed that Satan had been successful. A great scowl formed over his mouth and his eyes tightened up. Envy, said Satan, is often our best weapon against those who seek holiness. Clarence McCartney said, Envy is the spur with which the devil will ride the noblest tempers. The Greek word here for envy is phthonio. It is the painful or resentful awareness of an advantage enjoyed by another, joined with a desire to possess the same advantage. Envy is not just wanting what the other person has. Envy is wanting the other person not to have it. You're familiar with the idiom, turn green with envy. It is believed to have originated from the ancient Greek and Roman beliefs. And in those cultures, it was thought that the body's bile, which was believed to be green, would increase when a person became envious. And this association between envy and the color green likely led to the creation of this idiom. We see it in cartoons, okay? Right? When someone is sick, their face turns green. And what the idiom teaches us is that envy will make you sick. It will make what's inside that's ugly show up on the outside. 
Proverbs 14.30 says, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. And I hate to bring up social media again, but it is a breeding ground for envy. Why? Because we compare our actual inside to someone else's virtual outside. We display perfectly edited photos that aren't reality. And we end up comparing our real lives with their Instagram life. Every morning we wake up and every night before we go to bed, just bone rotting envy as we scroll. Why when we see a photo of a good looking person, maybe they're at a nice restaurant or on a beautiful vacation, why do we not think, good for her? That's not what we think. We're scrolling through our feed, envying and judging each person by what we see. And it's not Christ-like. It's not in sync with God's spirit. 1 Corinthians 13 says, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. Love doesn't envy. And that should be the mic dropper for us as followers of Jesus. Because we have to remember all of those photoshopped images of our neighbors, of celebrities, of whoever, are not just people we follow. They're people we're called to love. And to love, it doesn't mean envy. There is no envy in love. And so often our scrolling becomes trolling and we envy and judge rather than love. Read of a little boy named Tommy. And he was at the playground during recess and he was picking on some of the other kids on the playground. One of his favorite ways of taunting was to kind of make ugly faces at other kids. And Mrs. Zimmer was the teacher in charge of supervising at recess. And she saw Tommy doing this. So she pulled him aside and said, you know, when I was a little girl, I was told that if I made ugly faces, my face would freeze and always stay like that. And Tommy looked at her right in the face and said, well, Miss Zimmer, you can't say you weren't warned. We judge. We're scrolling through. Why would you post that? Oh, he's so close-minded. She fell off the deep end. Why would you vote for him? Why would you wear that? And I don't care what kind of pasta you had for dinner, with a little dash of oregano on the side of the plate. You're so fancy. We don't realize, but all of our scrolling can instantly become trolling and it rots the bones. It's not good here. And it always has a way of coming out into our lives. What is hidden will always be revealed. Just ask Millie Vanilli. We've all heard the phrase that the grass is greener on the other side. The problem is that when you get on the other side, you're never satisfied. The object of your desire never lives up to its billing and you are left feeling empty and unsatisfied and so you covet all the more, you envy all the more. The truth is that the grass isn't any greener on the other side. In fact, what's on the other side often isn't as good as what you have. Now, I didn't necessarily grow up on a farm, but I was around cows from time to time and I can remember seeing cows in a nice green pasture with plenty of grass stretching their necks through a barbed wire fence in order to get a bite of the short brown grass in the neighbor's pasture. 
Too many Christians in our world are acting just like these cows. Some of you might be saying, no, no, listen, really, the grass is greener on the other side. You compare what I've got and what they've got. You compare how they look and how I look. You compare their kids and my kids. You compare their happiness to my happiness and theirs is greener, no doubt about it. Lock it up. The great British artist, graffiti artist Banksy said, you may think that the grass is greener on the other side, but if you take the time to water your own grass, it would be just as green. Some of us need to hear that. The grass on the other side isn't greener. The grass is green where you water it, where you put your energy into. The energy you use in longing for greener pastures if you were to channel that into what God has placed you, into the pasture that is your own, you'd be living in a forest of green grass. You'd be like, honey, I shrunk the kids. So much tall and luscious green grass, you won't even know what to do with it. There was once a farmer who began to look at his farm through critical eyes. Every place he looked on his farm he saw something wrong, so he decided to sell and move somewhere else. He contacted a realtor who came over to look things over. Then the realtor called to get the farmer's approval for the ad that he was going to put in the local newspaper. And the ad spoke of a good location, a well-maintained house, sturdy barns, lush pasture, a beautiful pond, fertile soil, and a great view. The farmer listened carefully, and then he asked the realtor, to read it again. And after doing so, the farmer responded, don't put the ad in the newspaper. I've always wanted a place like that. I think I'll stay right where I am. Let's get real practical here. Choose your source. Where am I going to get my value, my worth, the world or from God? And then you evaluate what's important. Make a list of the things that you really believe are valuable, and then you live in that reality. You clarify what's important. Now, this is something only you can do, so I would encourage you, take the time. Think about what matters most in life and live as if that's what's most true because it is. I really believe this. Gratitude is the cure for envy. So this week, today, right now, pause and think of the best things in your life, the best people in your life, would you want it any other way? I wouldn't. Here's what I believe God wants to say to us this morning. Invest in the life that you have and you just might have something better than the life you've always wanted. Invest in those kids. Invest in your spouse. Teaching my kids how to ride a bike was one of the greatest moments of my life. And I don't think that's hyperbole. Ivy is six and she learned when she had just turned five. Dex is 10, so it was a while ago, but I remember like it was yesterday. Now, I know that a lot of parents nowadays use the stride ride bikes to teach their kids to balance first, but we went old school, okay? We had training wheels. And then after the training wheels, we had dad running next to the seat on and holding it. My back was so sore. 
But there was just something so special about seeing them incrementally realize that they could do it. When I was teaching Dex, I was pretty out of shape back then. And I'd lose my breath, my back was sore, and I remember leaning over at the trail where we were, okay, catching my breath, and Dex says, Dad, why are we stopping? And I said, oh, I'm tired, okay, Daddy's gotta catch his breath. And Dex thought I had said, kiss his breath. So as I breathed, he tried to kiss my breath. And I said, no, I'm trying to catch my breath. And so then he did this and tried to catch my breath. I said, no, it means to take a rest. That's what it means to catch my breath. When I paused to catch my breath, I was reminded of the simple beauty and goodness in my life. I'll never forget that moment where Dex tried to catch my breath, teaching him to ride a bike. I'll never forget the moment when he realized he could do it without me. I was so grateful. It was as if in the movies when time slows down and you know that this is going to be a memory that you have for your life. And in that moment, I wasn't thinking about what someone else had. My greatest joy was found in what I had and what was right there in front of me. And I was grateful. Gratitude is the cure for envy. This is what it means to be in sync with God's Spirit. I know that the training wheels are a comfort. I know that they have in the past enabled you to move, but eventually they're a hindrance. And for you to really get going, they must be removed. You can do it. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Gracious God, let us know that you are by our side, cheering us on, moving us to be in sync with your spirit. Let us follow your voice. God, open up our eyes to the beauty and goodness and luscious green pastures that we dwell in every day. Let us be grateful, not envy, not provoking, not being conceited, but loving life, loving you, and loving others. In Jesus' name.
for joining us online at prodigalchurchfresno.com. Uh, next week, we continue our series of learning what it means to be in sync with God's Spirit. We pray God's peace, blessings, and grace upon you and your loved ones. 
right now, this week, and beyond. Peace and love.